Welcome to the Wake Before the Day podcast with my parents, Clark and Bobby. We'll talk about the Bible and the Holy Spirit adventures. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I met our listeners. Just asking. (laughs) You're kidding. I, I, I mean, you could answer. Are you doing okay? I'm doing great. Oh, good. Ready to go. Well, I hope you guys are doing well. We are jumping into Matthew chapter 19. Lots of really just, I mean, lots of stuff to digest. And so Clark and I are going to just march through the chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, talk about kind of the key themes and what stuck out to us on your Wednesday today. Clark? Yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to take the first pericope, which is the first 12 verses or so. And uh, if you have a Bible that has subtitles, it should say like Jesus teaching about divorce. And so divorce is something that um, maybe you've experienced or um, someone that we know and love has experienced. And so mm-hmm. this is a very mm-hmm. you know, um, important and relative topic to basically everyone nowadays. What's happening for Jesus here is Jesus um, is interacting with the Pharisees, the Sadducees and religious rulers, and they're trying to trap Jesus go figure, mm-hmm. right? This is nothing new. And what they want to do here is they're asking Jesus to choose between two different rabbinical thoughts and kind of ways of thinking. So at this mm-hmm. time, there are two really famous uh, rabbis, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel was the more progressive um, rabbi when it comes to mm-hmm. divorce. For instance, he didn't take the law of Moses like as seriously and had a number of reasons why, you know, someone sure. could divorce, um, you know, the, the, their wife. At this time, only the man could divorce the wife. It was not helpful. It wasn't godly. If the woman burnt the toast in the morning, he could divorce her. If she spoke out of turn, he could divorce her, according to this rabbinic teaching. And it, it really is a shame. It was sad. It's wrong. On the flip side, Rabbi Shammai... Um, was more strict. He said, basically, if you have any form of immorality and what he had in mind was sexual adultery, any kind of sexual sin that was conducted within this relationship, then there was reason and grounds for divorce. And so this, um, if if Jesus picked this side, the rabbis were thinking he'll fall out of favor with the multitudes of people who are listening to this conversation. On the flip side, if he picks Rabbi Hillel, then we can tell everyone, look, Jesus does not take the law of Moses seriously. And so in the framework of Matthew, I believe what the Pharisees and Sadducees want right now is they want Jesus to end up like John the Baptist. They want to get Jesus killed by either the crowd of people or by the Romans or anybody else for law breaking. And what's so interesting about this, when you look at verses 4 through 6, which is Jesus' response to them as they're trying to figure out who can get divorced and why, Jesus does not um, prescribe to any kind of rabbinical teaching. He goes to Scripture Mm -hmm. and he quotes Scripture. So, Bobby, you want to read verses 4, 5, and 6 for us? I do. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so here what Jesus is doing is he's going to Scripture. He Mm. goes to the creation account, which if you were with us in January and February when we went through the the sexual series, the sexuality series Mm -hmm. in our church on what does it mean to be blessed, 
we we lived in Genesis one and two mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because these are prescriptive passages for us to understand our own sexuality, how we're supposed to relate to God mm-hmm. and other people, and use that as a lens for the rest of Scripture. So there's two different things here: prescriptive or descriptive. Prescriptive is saying, "Hey, here's what God intended. Here's how you're supposed to do this." Mm-hmm. Like a prescription: take this three times a day, 10 ml, and you'll be feeling better in a couple of days. Descriptive is just like, "Hey, the light turned red." Um, the sun is out. I'm just simply describing the situation, but I'm not telling you what you're supposed to do with the sun being out or the wind blowing, etc. So when he goes to Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 127 is talking about how how man and woman, male and female, are different. Mm -hmm. In that they're supposed to be connected and they're able to come together in a way no other like male to male or female to female are able to. Hmm. And then what's interesting is he looks over at Genesis 2 verse 23 and it talks about how they're different. But they're able to to still come together as one. And so some of their mm. differences are they came from different sources of creation. They also came by different means of methods of creation. For instance, mm. Adam was made from the dust of the ground and Eve was taken from the side of Adam. They came at different times of creation. They have different names at creation. So male and female, though they're very similar, they're also very different mm-hmm. and able to be joined together in a way a male and a male and a female and a female cannot. Hmm. And so when it talks about God joining them together, it's spiritually binding. It, that word used in Hebrew is talking about being joined together um, almost like oxen that are equally yoked. And hmm. they're equals. They're, they're meant to be shoulder to shoulder. And so when it says the scriptures that, that God pulled a, a, like a rib out of Eve, out of Adam's side for mm-hmm. Eve, the the word's not necessarily rib, like you and I are going to go eat ribs or uh, the McRib from McDonald's. It's more of like from the side of Adam. So they stood shoulder to shoulder hmm. as equals. And so as you read the scripture, now Jesus is going back to the scriptures, the creation account to say, hey, you guys are trying to pit me here against the crowds, against right. the law of Moses. And he goes, let me get to the heart of this. Because in the Bible, divorce is never promoted hmm. and it's never commanded, but it is permitted on mm. a few grounds mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's, it breaks God's heart. It's not his desire. Mm-hmm. So I would say when I'm reading the scriptures, sexual morality is so clear here. Like this is a reason for divorce. Mm. Paul adds one in my opinion in first Corinthians seven verse 15. And it's that of abandonment. Uh, people might de- debate this passage, but as I read it and see first Corinthians seven fifteen, it seems like if someone is abandoned by a spouse, Paul gives them reason to uh, divorce and remarry. And so as you're looking at this, though, one of the things that's so interesting to me is that when you come to do your vows on your wedding day, oftentimes the vows are seen to be like from the man to the woman and the woman to the man. But Mm -hmm. when we look at it within a Christian framework, I believe the vows are first and foremost to God and then after to God to the other person. And so when I do the announcement at a wedding, I'll say, you know, we're gathered Mm -hmm. before God. And not only before God, but before friends and family to celebrate the holy and sacred marriage of yeah. Jose and Juanita today or yeah. whatever it is, whoever it is. And so as you're looking at this, this is a promise to God and then to your spouse and then to the world. And so when it comes down to like other reasons why people might be getting divorced and why they're then considered adulterers in God's eyes is because in God's eyes, if someone divorces for, they, let's say they fell out of love. In God's eyes, right. based upon the promise you made to him, right. you're still married. That's why it counts as adultery. God's saying, I have such a high view of marriage 
that I want you to wrestle with this and think about this seriously and mm-hmm. understand the commitment you're about to make. Yeah. Now, you and I were talking the other day. Sorry, mm. I've done a lot of talking here. It's great. But oftentimes people get married at, I would consider a younger age, let's sure. say in your 20s or even your 30s. It's such a huge decision. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important. And there's grace there because none of us really know what you're getting yourself into before you get married um, until you're in it. But I'm I'm like more inclined just reading this to talk to those who are engaged or getting married about like the, the bigness, the greatness and the goodness of this decision. Yeah. But I also understand like the severity of it right here. Like this is a big deal. Yeah. Right. Till death. Till death do us part. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so... Anyways, that's a, a little longer than we would normally spend on just one part of the passage, but that's what Jesus is sitting in here. Instead of dealing with the rabbinical traditions, he just goes back to Scripture. Mm. Like, let's go back to Genesis 1 and 2. I think that in itself is just a good lesson. Like, let's go back to Scripture. Yeah. Like, what's been written about it? What has God already mm-hmm. said here? And then at the end, verses yeah. 10 through 12, there's kind of this odd passage about the eunuchs. And essentially what Jesus mm. is saying here is like, hey, look, that there are people who have different sexual experiences. And if you're going to talk about eunuchs, there's really three categories he brings up in these three verses. He says, there are those who are born without the capacity Mm -hmm. for sex and marriage. That's kind of the first eunuch. The second eunuch is those who are made eunuchs by others. Like they're Mm -hmm. castrated. They're made without the capacity for sex and marriage. And then the third and final group that Jesus talks about is those who simply and deliberately choose to live without sex and marriage. And there's a lot more to say about that another time, but, um, that's what Jesus is getting at there Mm. at the end of that section. That's helpful, man. You know what? One thing I really appreciate about who Jesus is, is like, he's dealing with these Pharisees and this really academic and tradition, um, just like head knowledge, like super deep conversation. And then we transition here and Jesus is talking to his disciples about little children Yeah, and just the simplicity, um, of who these kids are. And so that's kind of what stuck out to me right now. I'm in verse 13, Um, And literally, I'll just read the first part. It says, Then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And then now verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Um, When he placed his hands on them, uh, he went from there. And so initially, first things first that stuck out to me is the children were brought that word brought just seems really heavy. Um, right now I'm, I'm a mom. I think some people listening might share that right now in their life. They're a mom or dad. And even if they're not, um, you, I'm sure are some kind of spiritual parent to someone else, whether that's Mm. nieces and nephews or cousins or in your occupation. I don't know. Um, but you know, because we focus, like, Jesus re- is telling the disciples, like, you're wrong here because the disciples rebuke those who brought them. But number one is people are bringing their kids to Jesus. That sticks out to me. Bring your kids to Jesus. Bring your p- kids to worship. Bring your kids into your prayer time, Bible reading time. These, whoever they were, they did that. They brought their kids. They were following Jesus. They saw something in Jesus. They were obedient. They're saying, hey, I want my kids to be prayed for. I want my kids to have hands. I want my kids to be blessed. And so number one, bring your kids. Mm. Um, then real quick, what are yeah. some practical steps? Like if someone's listening right now and they're like, that's a good idea. How can I do that? What advice would you have? You know what? The number one way I would say that my kids encounter Jesus Christ within my home is when I apologize. There's a lot of different ways, you guys, there are a lot of different ways, but I would say one of the number one ways is when I 
Because who you are as a mom or dad or spiritual leader or mom or dad to these people is a big person. So when you make yourself small and you say, I missed it, I am sorry, and you pray, I think that's a direct, that's a Holy Spirit moment, Holy Ground moment. Other just like practical ways, we talk about the table a lot, but that is huge. Whether Whatever your routine is, gathering around the table is huge. What are you going to say? I was going to say, if you listen to the sermon on Sunday, I remember yeah. Uncle Ken talking about how he learns so much at the table. Yeah. Simply like praying and how to pray for somebody next to him mm-hmm. and how to yeah, read the Bible and understand the, the biblical story it happened around food at the dinner table. I think there's just consistency there too. And so I don't know what that looks like with you, you know, what breakfast, lunch, and dinner look like, what your, your car looks like. So just practically taking what other... Um, things you are doing just in your everyday life. That's what the Bible talks about. Um, We talk about this from Deuteronomy also, just weaving these um, elements of truth, scripture, prayer into your day with your kids. Um, I know there's a family that shared, they have kids that are in high school and they are often at mealtime, dinner time, there's, you know, they're pulled in a lot of different directions. And so whether it's practice or a game or a rehearsal or a recital, whatever it is. And so they will literally bring some kind of cooler or picnic basket and they will sit there um, in their car outside on the grass and they will eat together. And, you know, it, that could mean you grab McDonald's. Or, I, I don't know what it means for you, but the point in the fact that they're making it a priority to sit together to consecrate their family unto the Lord in this time and say, hey, you know, we're going to devote this time, even though it might be minimal, unto the Lord. That That's huge in their kids' mm-hmm. lives. Anyway, um, there's a lot more to un- unpack there, but just that word brought really stuck out. And then verse 14 says that um, Jesus told the disciples, hey, you're wrong here. Let the children come to me and don't hinder them for the the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so, right, I'm not going to flesh it out. There's tons you could say here. But if you go back to chapter 18, verses 2 through 6, there's um, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're asking the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And it sounds like this. He called a little child. This is Jesus and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter. And so in this, what Jesus is getting at is that kids have this like implicit trust. They have this, um, this love, this loyalty, this belief in their parents. And Jesus is saying, you got to be like these guys unto me, unto God. You got to have this, this trust that doesn't make sense because life is going to be terrifying and sad and confusing and frightening. And unless you're humble and dependent and have this simple faith and the simple trust in Yahweh, you're going to miss it. Mm. And so I just love that about That's Jesus because he's here debating, you know, he's at temple. He's debating about these, you know, rabbinic laws and traditions. He's with the disciples who are, you know, I mean, some commentators say that Jesus talking to the disciples, that it was actually very um, harsh. Yes. Very direct. And so it's interesting that, that Jesus is talking to people that he loves, the disciples, but he's saying, hey, don't mess with these little kids. They actually have it right. And that he says that again in verse 18 before that also, where he says, I mean, it's strong language, you guys. This is verse six of chapter 18. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck. So just think about what's going on in our society right now with truth and lies, with kids, with teenagers. And I think about just the weight of that and yeah. what Jesus has said about kids. Um, 
that's yeah that's what I'm, I'm resting in today okay well let's transition to the last part of the chapter it's a story about a young rich man coming to jesus and yeah. this young rich man is basically saying like teacher what deed must i do to have eternal life and so if you look at verses 16 and 17 what the the underlying thought here is what do i have to do to earn this um and when you know about like salvation within the context of Christianity and what Jesus says, what Paul says in Ephesians 2 is it's a gift of grace. It's like Bobby said about the children. It's just this this trust and this faith you put in Jesus. There's nothing you can necessarily do to earn this, even though this guy is trying that. And so when you look at verses 18 through 20, Jesus is going back and forth with him talking about the Ten Commandments. And basically what this guy says is he has followed all these commandments that Jesus mm-hmm. initially lists. But what's so fascinating about the list is Jesus is talking about the, the portion of the Ten Commandments that focus mm-hmm. on our interaction from one human being to another human Humans being. to humans, yeah. So this guy's thinking, great, I haven't killed anybody. Right. I haven't even lied. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I have not envied or stolen anything. Mm-hmm. So therefore, God, I have done everything. Yeah. But then what Jesus asks him to do is to basically sell all of your stuff and get rid of it, hmm. sell it, and come come then come follow me. Mm-hmm. Which the underlying thought there is, what's the first commandment? The first commandment right. is you shall have no other God before me. Mm-hmm. It's idolatry. And that's not dealing human to human. That, that's you before God. Yeah. And that's dealing with a heart issue that other men and women just can't see. Yeah. So Jesus hits you know, the nerve here and says, hey, buddy, I'm glad you haven't killed anybody. You haven't stolen. You're not... You know, trying to take your neighbor's wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I want you to sell your stuff and then come follow me. And he tapped into that idolatry in his heart. And so I think sometimes for me and for us, we might think, like, I'm doing pretty good right now. Mm-hmm. I, uh, when I compare myself to them or other people, I'm holding my own. Mm-hmm. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And it's just a reminder for me that God knows my heart. He knows the motivations. He knows the intentions. And I hope I'm going to church. I hope you're going to church. I hope you're going to group. I hope you're connected. And in the midst of that, Mm -hmm. you're still weighing and and giving the motivations of our heart to God. Mm -hmm. Because God knows what's there. And and if you go to the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 3, um, the Lord is speaking through John in a vision to these different churches. And he speaks to the church in Laodicea in verse 17. And he is kind of talking to them going, great, you guys say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I don't need anything. And he's rebuking them, basically saying, you've set up idols in your life where you are depend, you are independent of God. You don't need anybody else. You don't need anything. And here the rich young man realizes, God is asking me to give up the thing I love most mm. in this world, to follow him. And so that's going to be a different thing for you. Yeah. And for you, Bobby, and for me. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we have to come back to this, this childlike faith. Do I trust that God knows what's best yeah. for my life? So is it, do I trust that when God says it's better to, to give and to be generous mm-hmm. than it is to hoard and receive? Do I trust that forgiving someone else will be liberating, even though I harbor so much anger and I've been really hurt by this person? Mm-hmm. Do I trust that God knows what's best? And I, I, I'm trying to spend enough time with God and lean into who he is and his promises that I might live into it and be true for me mm-hmm. in my experience. So it's good. So I got Matthew chapter 19, you guys loaded thanks mm. for listening you guys this is wednesday and this is a special wednesday is a very we want to invite wednesday. you into go ahead bud yeah we have the wednesday prayer and worship service tonight and like we announced on sunday and have announced last little while it's focused on mental health tonight 
And so if you're yeah. battling mental health, whether it's anxiety or depression or anything, mm-hmm. whether it's um, just thoughts or it's actual chemical imbalances and things you mm. need, maybe it's hormones, I don't know. But we want to invite you to come. We've got special prayer teams coming that are going to focus and intercede for you for as long as you will be there. We're going to have a brief testimony from a young uh, leader at our church, a young woman who's battled depression for mm-hmm. you know about 20 years. And uh, I meet the Lord when I, when I talk to her. And so I'm praying yeah. you meet the Lord as well. And it's also a great way to invite someone who maybe is not a Christian. Yeah. He was like, hey, look, you're battling anxiety or depression or maybe something else. Mm. Maybe come check out this time of worship. It's really relaxing. And if you're open to it, maybe someone can pray for you. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people will think, shoot, I have nothing else to lose. So like, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So it's tonight at seven o'clock in the sanctuary. I hope to see you there. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk on Friday. The Lord bless you and keep you. Don't make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give him his peace. Have a great day.